Welcome to the Sober Gay Sunday podcast, a podcast about being gay and sober and not just on Sundays. In this podcast, we'll explore the ins and outs of being queer and sober in a world where drinking and using are woven into the fabric of our culture. This season, we'll be hearing the stories of addiction and recovery from sober gays from all over the world. Every story of recovery is unique in its own way, and every story deserves to be heard. So let's go. In today's episode, we welcome Jude. Jude is a member of Knuckleheads Men's Meeting in Somerville. He has been sober for 12 and a half years and currently lives in Providence, Rhode Island with his fiance, Spencer. Please welcome Jude. All right. Good afternoon, Jude. How are you doing? Doing well. How are you? Very good. Very good. Welcome to the Sober Gay Sunday podcast. I'm happy to have you. Thank you for having me. Excellent. So why don't we start off just telling us your name, your preferred pronouns, and a little bit about yourself. Uh, my name is Jude S. Uh, I go by E and M. Um, I'm 47, and I've been sober for 12 and a half years. That's amazing. That's amazing. Why don't you take us through your story of addiction from the very first time you've used or drank all the way up to where you are today in your sobriety? Yes. So my first uh, drink was when I was 15 years old. It was a house party with friends for a birthday celebration. And the next day after, I couldn't move off my friend's couch. And I thought it was the best thing in the world. And I couldn't wait to do it again. I didn't really care that I felt uh, <laughs> like a piece of trash, so to speak. I just couldn't wait to do it again. And so from that time on, I also grew up in a dry county in the South. So we had to drive to other places to get alcohol and people had to buy it for us who were older than us. Mm -hmm. um, but where there's a will, there's a way. And, um, you know, I mean, I, I, that's how my drinking began. It just sort of was a weekend warrior and it progressed into weekend warrior uh, more so when I was in college because it was free. I could get it any time. Um, but it wasn't, you know, out of the ordinary to do it during the week as well. And, you know, pretty much until I quit drinking or when I got, I guess when I got sober, um, my world got narrower and narrower and narrower. And by the time of the end, I was a fall down blackout drunk. Mm -hmm. um, I was hurting myself. I was hurting other people, not physically. I was hurting myself physically, but I was hurting others emotionally, mentally, that sort of thing. But other substances had also come into play in high school and in college when I first when I was drinking, I always looked down on other people who were, you know, like smoking pot or whatever. Oh, what trash bags. But then when I graduated college and I moved to New Orleans, my running buddy um, introduced me to Coke. Boy, did he create a monster. So that went hand in hand, you know, with my drinking. There was one involved, there was always going to be the other. I'll say that, that Coke fueled my drinking 
but it also got me into Alcoholics Anonymous faster. And so afterward, um, again, my world got smaller and smaller and smaller. I was hurting everyone around me. You know, I was a liar, a cheat, and a thief. You know, and I would do whatever I needed to in order to get fixed for the next drink. How many times have you been to a party where you're like, can I just borrow some of yours? And, you know, because I'm running out of mine, when in essence you have like two full bags in your pocket. Right. And that's what my life was. And I would go off to the bathroom and do my own. And even outside of drugs, right? Like, and out of the addiction in the normal world, whatever normal is, that's what my life was like. Taking from other people so I can get what I want. That was basically in a nutshell. December of 2010, my best friend, who I'd been friends with since junior high, um, had a big birthday party. I basically started pre-gaming before we all went to the restaurant, and I just ruined the birthday. Mm -hmm. And I remember I spent more time in the bathroom and outside smoking than I did at the actual dinner table with all of my friends. And later on, a, a more series of unfortunate events played out. I don't remember how I got home. I just remember my roommate opening the door and being like, what the hell is wrong with you? Like, what is going on? A couple of days later, you know, all of my friends you know, basically said to me, like, we need you to con like dial back your drinking or get it under control because we're tired of taking care of you. We're tired of dealing with you, babysitting you, that sort of thing. You know, being worried about if you're getting home okay or you're not. Yeah. So I called a friend I knew who's now called Synonymous. You know, I said to him, I just said, I think I have a problem with drinking, but I'm scared. I don't know what to do. Would you like to take me to a meeting? Saturday MGH at 12.30 was my first meeting in Alcoholics Anonymous. For the first time, I heard a person tell my story of why I drink, why I use the way I do. And it was to, you know, basically push down all of those feelings of insecurity and discomfort that I felt, that I felt growing up in the South, in a small town of about 1,600 people. You know, where everybody knew your business, where I was constantly bullied, my own internal homophobia that I felt being ashamed to be gay. Those were all things that I drank in, you know, and that and that was my story. That's those were things, all of those things, just I couldn't deal with them. And I just wanted to keep them pushed as far down as they would go. I heard this story, but I also heard a message of hope. Um, and that there was a solution to my problem, you know, which is Alcoholics Anonymous, the fellowship and the 12 steps. I needed a little more research and development um, for the month of December. Now, here's the funny thing. The next weekend after this birthday party that I ruined was my company's Christmas party. So my roommate knew this. And so he said, you know, what's your plan? And I said, I'm only going to have two drinks and I'm going to come home. So it was right after work. And by the third drink, I had dialed my hookup and I was trying to find a ride out to Forest Hills faster than the orange line would take me so I could hook up with this guy and get what I needed. So 
fast forward, we go through the night. I get home at like three o'clock in the morning and my roommate, you know, answers the door and he's like, what are you doing home so late? And I said, I, I, and he goes, we'll talk tomorrow. And so we talked tomorrow. He said to me, don't you remember what just happened last weekend? Like, look at your face, look at, you know, how you feel. And I said, the difference was between last weekend and this weekend is that I remembered every single thing that I talked to the taxi driver about and everything that happened through the night. And he just looked at me with like the craziest look, like I had three heads. But to me as an alcoholic, it totally made sense, right? The big book even tells us like, we don't have the sufficient force to call to mind, you know, the memory of two days ago, a week ago, you know, whatever. And I found that to be true in my drinking career. Yeah. You know, as alcoholics, as addicts, we can justify everything until the cows come home. And that's what I was doing, but he didn't fall for that. And so I, I went back to meetings. I remember going to one of the guys that I had met at this at this first meeting, he had given me his number. And I remember going to, he had a, a sober New Year's Eve party at his house in the South End. And I remember still battered and bruised. I remember walking to his party as fast as I could with my head down. I was not able to look anybody in the eye. And I was afraid that if someone saw me, they were going to be like, what the hell happened to you? Yeah, I was also very afraid of looking at a bar because I was afraid that I would go in. And so I went I went to this party and, and, you know, I mean, I don't know if you've had this experience, but my first, you know, experience going to a sober party, I was like, no, this is not really what happens. <laughs> you have to like, yeah, you have to like relearn how to be a social being, a social entity. It's extremely challenging. Yes. It's very true because, you know, I could um, I could be three sheets to the wind, be high as a kite in a bar, and I would still feel like the loneliest person there. And no matter how much I drank, you know, or put on this face that I was having a good time, you know, inside I was lonely. I was I felt like I was being judged. I was yeah. afraid. And mm -hmm. so like, yeah, you have to totally learn how to act in social situations now without any, um, you know, booze or drugs or whatever. And so I went to this party and it was fine. Like it was a great time. I met a lot of great people. Uh, it was really fun. But I did have to leave before midnight because, I, again, I did not want to be caught out, you know, uh, before midnight. That was so petrified it was like i couldn't even breathe i lived in jp and it was like i couldn't even breathe until i got home but i went to i started going back to meetings i heard a guy who had like 25 years at the time tell his story and i just wanted what he had you know he had just this passion for alcoholics anonymous and what aa had done for him in terms of his life turning it around and sobriety and you know, he said to me, like, the only the only thing that I ask is that you carry this message to other alcoholics. And so I did, you know, uh, I had my first sponsee when I was like three or four months sober. I was scared to death because, you know, like I said to him, I don't have anything in 
in common with this guy and he was like are you kidding me you both drink and drugged each other like that's what you have in common and i was like well i guess you got a point and he just reminded me he's like this you have no control over his sobriety all you can do is share the message read the book with him taking the steps and you know i've i've tried to remember that with every sponsor that i've had so that's sort of what my story uh was or is, I should say. And how many years of sobriety do you have now? Twelve and a half. How many sponsees have you had in that time? So in the twelve and a half years, 20. Incredible. It's amazing. Yeah. I will tell you, though, that, that my first sponsee, he was incredible. It really was the most rewarding experience. And when he came in, he was so closed off. You know, I took him through the steps and everything. And, you know, within six months, he was finally talking. He would read in meetings. He finally, he, he slowly became more confident. It was the most rewarding, like, proudest experience that I've probably had with a sponsee. Yeah. Because I was able to watch him transform from this, like, scared little guy into this social butterfly. So who's your biggest supporter? I would say my biggest supporter is my fiance, Spencer. He's totally supportive. He, I think part of it is like he totally understands um, about alcoholism. His other long-term relationship is with someone who is in recovery. He's very familiar with the whole, you know, recovery dance. And he's very, very supportive. Once you got sober, what were some of your new plans in life? If I would have thought when I got sober that like, oh, someday I want to own a house. Well, first of all, I wouldn't even have that thought because I would just laugh at myself. But mm -hmm. today I own, we own a house. That's a true gift of sobriety because I'm not throwing money down the drain on booze and drugs. So if you could give one piece of advice to a, new, a newly sober person, what would it be? The most important thing as a newcomer that you can do is to find a home group, get a service position in the home group, get a sponsor, and work the steps. The steps absolutely saved my life, mm -hmm. and I can never talk highly enough about them. I run an organization in Boston called Sober Gay Sunday. And we have, we do events like beach days and axe throwing and paint nights. So if you could do one activity for Sober Gay Sunday where money was no object, what would that activity be? I would say a fun day in P-Town. This is something else that I would also say to, to a newcomer is that if you're a, a P-Towner, do not be afraid to go to meetings there. There is a solid foundation of recovery there. I've made lots of friends there. I feel like when I go on vacation there, it's now more of like meeting up with like a family. Absolutely. Same. Yeah. And I don't have to have a vacation from a vacation. That's the way it used okay. to be. I used mm -hmm. to go to P-Town and I would just run and run and run so hard. Terrorist. I was a terrorist in that town when I was a drinker. Oh my yeah. God. If anyone wants to find you on Instagram or anything like that, where can they find you? Yes, so on Instagram, I am Jude Rocks. But yeah, Instagram is where you can find me the most. All right. Well, I want to thank you very much for joining me on the Sober Podcast. It was a really good treat chatting with you. Um, and you have a great day and we'll talk soon, okay? Thanks. You too. Thank you for tuning in to the Sober Gay Sunday Podcast. Please feel free to like, subscribe, 
share, and comment. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at SoberGaySunday. You can also email me directly at SoberGaySunday at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening, and until next time, stay sober, guys. I'm so sick of small talk and tell me something you're dropping in me on my head with your biggest mistakes. I don't want your daily drama.